Welcome to CFCC Podcast. In this podcast, you will grow in faith, hope, and love in Jesus Christ. Be blessed by the Word of God. So before I actually start, I just want to give a rundown. I felt this in the morning to maybe just give a quick rundown on the importance of apologetics. So apologetics comes from the word apologia, which means to give an answer. You know, I was saying to Ritu, I think it was two, three months back, that there is a revelation that came into, you know, my heart a couple of months back where I thought that it's so, it's so interesting how we were asked a question at the beginning of the foundation of the earth, right? When, when human beings were created, we were asked a question that led to our fall, and we have been asking questions since. So we were asked a question that we found an answer to from someone who was not necessarily equipped to give us that answer. And because of that, this led to a fall. So questions are very important and answers and where we get them from are equally as important as well. Uh, Pastor Briggs spoke yesterday here and I'm actually, I was actually very glad that he said that the life of a Christian is not only about coming here and listening to what the pastor says. The Bible says, study and show yourself approved. Not read and show yourself approved. Not listen and show yourself approved. Study, take this word, dissect it, commune with God, ask him, what does this mean? What are you saying here? And then you will show yourself approved. There's a statement as well that I like to say, and I said it to read to a while back, that came into my spirit that, and this is a very rough statement, someone with a superior lie can defeat your truth if your truth is not sufficient enough. Really think about that. If your truth is not based in substance and in the right context, someone with craftier and more superior lies can actually lead you astray, right? We're also given a command in the Bible, uh, 1 Peter 3, verse 15, I think, that says, always be prepared to give an answer or, in other versions, a reason for the hope that lives in you, right? As Paul said, we are prepared to give an answer, meaning before you can give an answer, a question must be asked. It's not always be prepared to go out and say something. Always be prepared to respond to the questions that come into your life. Very important as well. We're not going to go to mosques and start defending Christ and start saying, yeah, Allah, we're not going to do that. But the world will inadvertently ask us questions, and we need to be prepared to answer these questions. And another scripture that I want to bring, I don't have it up there, but it's in Hebrews. It says that if you have faith, you must believe that God is That's a definitive statement. Not God should be, not God might be, not God reasonably, God is. It is a question of fact. Nowhere in the Bible does God ask us to believe in him on the basis that it's reasonable to do so. It's on the basis of fact. I am. Does he not say that? I am. Not I should be. I am. It is something that is rooted in fact. It would not be church if I do not ask for the scriptures. So could we please have John 18, verse 37 to 38. Okay. Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king then? Jesus answered, you say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born and for this cause I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Next scripture, please. And Pilate said to him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. 
So you might be asking yourself a question. We're talking about the kingdom of God, but here's a person who's coming to present on the truth. From that narrative, and if you read further in that narrative, you notice that the first thing Jesus says is that my kingdom is not of this world. But as we read in verse 37, after he establishes that he's a king with a kingdom, he comes and he says, I stand for truth. That should say something to us. Let me just break it down. I am a king, and in my position as king, I stand for truth. This creates a very integral link between the kingdom of God and the essence of the truth. So you cannot divide those two things. What Christ is essentially saying is that my claim to a kingdom is a truth claim. It is not a claim that is just founded on nothing. It is a claim on something that I deem to be a fact. Something that is true, not should be true. Lisa said something and she really took the words out of my mouth in the morning when she says that everything concerning a kingdom is centered around the king. This is a very true fact. Go to, go to the Old Testament in the book of Kings, in the book of Chronicles. You will always see this pattern that consistently emerges where it says that, and then he ruled Israel, and they were given to this. The nation usually reflected certain aspects about the king. If the king did not take the word of the Lord seriously, the nation didn't take the word of the Lord seriously. If the king was depraved, the nation was depraved. So in essence, when Christ says, I am a king, and I stand for the truth, and he is the king of the, king of the kingdom of God, it means that each and everyone who is under this kingdom as well must be given to the truth because the king himself is given to the truth. Right? So now we've come to this, to this starting point where, you know, I, I mentioned that, you know, ever since the fall, we have been asking questions. Ravi Zachariah says something very interesting, and I'd never thought of it like that, you know. One of the saddest things about that interaction is that Pontius Pilate asked one of the most important questions a human being can ask, but didn't even have the decency to wait for the answer. Because that narrative tells us that he asked Jesus, what is the truth? And then what did he do? He walked away. Right? So that's the answer what we're going to look for today. This is the answer we're going to wait for today. Because I truly believe, and maybe I'm being overboard and I have so much faith in Jesus, I truly believe had Pontius Pilate actually listened to what Jesus had to say to that question, he would have left that conversation radically changed, a totally different man. Because the truth in itself is transformative in its nature. So the question that we are going to actually wait for, unlike Pontius Pilate, no shade to Pontius Pilate, is what is the truth? And I am going to hopefully not bore you, but we're going to get a bit technical now because we need to find some definitions of this aspect of truth, the truth. We need to define it. We need to understand the parameters. We need to understand the, the functionings of truth. We need to understand that, okay, if truth is this, then what isn't, right? When I was actually preparing this message, interestingly enough, I had one concept of, of the truth. And it's, I, I believe it's a concept that we all hold. If I ask you what is the truth, or if I ask you to define truth, you're going to quickly run to the idea of truth and fact. Truth is establishing something that is fact, right? But a second definition of truth came, or was impressed upon me, and I'll also focus on that as well. Let me focus firstly on the first aspect of truth. 
truth as fact, right? Generally, there are two types of truth as fact, one more superior than the other. The first one is what we call subjective or relative truth. These are claims that are based on perspectives, feelings, and opinions of the people that are interpreting it. I always give this example, anyone who knows me and who's had these discussions with me, I always give this example. If there were two people, let's say me and Pastor Cat there, and someone, and there was a figure on the ground that was drawn that from my perspective looked like a six, but from her perspective looked like a nine. Subjective truth is coherent in both of us if she claims it's a nine and I claim it's a six. Are you, I hope you're still with me. Because from where I am looking, this is a six. From where she is looking, that is a nine. That is subjective based on the interpretation and the perspectives of the person who is actually interpreting that stimulus or that, that aspect or that is on the ground, right? That is subjective truth in that example. The second definition of what the truth is as a fact is what we call objective or absolute truth. These are factual assertions that are coherent with reality and with existing or observable standard. Let's take the exact same example, right? There's a six, or from my perspective, a six, from Pastor Cat's perspective, a nine on the ground. Subjectively, it's a nine to her. Subjectively, it's a six to me. Objective reality takes in context and determines what that figure on the ground actually is, right? So, I said in my definition, objective truth is a factual assertion coherent with reality and existing observable standards. So something outside of me and Pastor Cat has to come and regulate between us what that number actually is. Because if we really think about it, let's say it's written on a page, one of us might be looking at the page upside down. So then it determines who is actually seeing the right number, right? There's a six on the ground. There's an existing standard that determines what that six is. That standard maybe is the individual who wrote the six down. If the individual had it in their mind at that point in time to shift the ground or the paper in this way and write like this, then that, that determination by that individual will then judge on an objective basis what that figure is. And then one of us will be wrong on the basis of that. So objective truth is a factual assertion that cannot stand in the face of counterclaims. What that means is, if I say that chair is blue and someone says that chair is black, it is either blue or black. It cannot be both at the same time. Regardless of how one person sees it and the other person sees it, there is something outside of us that will determine the objectivity of the color of that chair. So this is to say, and this is to set the example that the truth in itself is exclusive. Objectively speaking, objective truth as the higher form of truth is exclusive. It does not debate with counterclaims. It does not seek to coexist with counterclaims. It does not do that. Then the second aspect of truth, which really blew my mind when I was thinking, is that truth or the truth can exist as a value. Meaning, the truth as a value can be the accuracy of something in the representation of an ideal standard. 
Let me use an example. It's not highly refined as yet, but I hope you stay with me, right? Chalgo is not here, Tiamo is here. Both Tiamo and I are Chelsea fans, right? We're both Chelsea fans. Yeah, they, they're kind of doing well these days, so no, we're in good spirits. <laughs> so both Tiamo and I are Chelsea fans. When we look at the truth as a value and as a representation of a standard, when we look at Tiamo, who wears the Chelsea kits, who goes to, who watches all the Chelsea matches, who actually knows what's going on with the team as opposed to me, we can say that Tiamo is a true Chelsea fan on the basis of his value towards the representation of the standard, right? We say it all the time, oh, that is a true Nguni person. That means something, right? So, truth is either one, a fact, or two, an accurate representation of something or a value that is an accurate representation of an ideal objective standard, right? So now, the question we have to ask, we have defined truth, we have gone through the technical aspects. Why are we speaking about this aspect of truth, especially in the relation of the kingdom of God? Why is it important for us to even think about this, right? Beyond it being something that Jesus said, I have a kingdom, my kingdom is not this world, but in this kingdom, I am standing for truth and anyone who stands for truth is on my side. Beyond that aspect, why should we actually ask the question, what is truth in relation to the kingdom of God? One of the important, important reasons why we actually need to ask this question is that it will help us understand the parameters and the dynamic of the truth claims that are made by this kingdom, right? Uh, could I please have John 4 verse 16? the right one? Yeah, I think I've got the wrong scripture here. <laughs> yeah, I think I've got the wrong scripture here. But it's a scripture that talks about when Jesus is essentially saying that, you know, he is the truth and the truth shall set us free. Does anyone know where that scripture lies? Eight. Is it four verse Eight. Could you kindly check 4 verse 8 for me? It's 8.32. Okay, no, it's I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. 14, 14 verse 6. Sorry, just missing a one there. Thank you very much. That's a man who knows his Bible. Amen. That's, a, that's brilliant. 14 verse 6. 13 verse 6 or 14 verse 16? Okay. Okay, but I think I quoted it. Okay, so Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I just want to clear this out now. There are definite articles that are used. Not I am a way, a truth, and a life. I am the, the, the. No one except through me. That is a definite truth claim that is made by the king who has come into Asha, the kingdom. What he is essentially saying is there, there is what I am saying or this claim that I have in bringing the kingdom 
as we learned yesterday, the kingdom being salvation, the kingdom being the governing and the rule of God in our lives, what I am saying in that I am the one who brings this salvation, I am the one who leads you to God, it cannot stand in the face of other claims or ways to God. It cannot. That's essentially what he's saying there. He's not debating. He's not saying, I am the way for you Jews. But then the Greek people have their own way to God. No, that's an, ex- an exclusive tra- claim. Only, except through me, right? The second one, John 16, verse 13. Right. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. Right? In other versions, it says that the aspect of truth there is the message by the father regarding his son, the message that the son is he that brings salvation. Right? The spirit of truth will lead us in all truth, all truth literally being categorized and underneath that one, that one, one fact, that Jesus is salvation through God. That's all truth encapsulated in one statement, right? John 8, verse 31 to 32. I know I'm just throwing scriptures at you, but it will all make sense. Okay, then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. Next scripture. And you know that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. I'm a bit pressed for time, I'm sorry. <laughs> so that's another claim of exclusivity with, with, with regards to a certain aspect, an aspect of freedom. So what we are learning now is that we have established that truth is one, a fact an objective fact that cannot stand in the face of counterclaims, and two, it is a value of representation. When we look at these claims that Jesus has made, he's saying those two things about himself. One, it is an objective fact that I'm the only way to God. It is an objective fact that the kingdom of God is the only kingdom that has a legitimate claim to your heart and to your worship. Meaning there is no other claim that can rival mine. Right? And then the second thing, which is mind-blowing for me, is that even though I am saying I am the fact of salvation, in any case, as a value, my kingdom is the best representation of what you need as a human being. My justice is the best representation of justice. My peace is the best representation of peace. Beyond it being a fact, even if even if you were to try and compare my peace with other pieces, my justice with other justices, my, mine will always come out tops. It is the best representation of the ideal standard. There are questions that we all have. There are things that we all grapple with. There are things that we all seek to understand. There are things that we all yearn with inside. Justice is something that we all cry for. Morality is something that we all believe in. That's why we can say someone did wrong to me. That's why we can differentiate between good and evil. There are certain standards or there are certain aspects that we all think about, whether we like it or not. And what Jesus is saying about himself and his kingdom is that my kingdom, my reign, my rulership is the only thing that can coherently and satisfactorily answer all the questions that you have. There are other, there are other kingdoms. They can try and answer it. Maybe they'll answer one out of two. No, one out of six. 
or two out of six. But Jesus is saying, I get a distinction. 100%. Every question that you have, I answer satisfactorily in accordance with what you yearn for. And I can answer that question and you will find no emptiness or gap. And you will not find anything in you that seeks more answers when I have given you an answer. Right? So now, when we establish that Jesus says this, and that he has made a truth claim, and that he says, I am the truth, this is me, the, you know, this is what I stand for. One thing we have to be very, very aware of, and this is where I go into the segment of what is the value of seeking truth, especially in relation to the kingdom of God, or of seeking the kingdom of God as the truth of reality, not just the truth of our lives. Because, unfortunately, and this is going to sound very bad, it is not dependent on whether you believe it or not, whether Jesus is real or not. You can feel as much as you want that he isn't. He still is. It's not dependent on our worship. It's something that stands regardless of how we feel about it. You know, it's not like, you know, some of the movies that we watch where the God gets power from us. It's, it, no. If all of us chose not to believe in God, he would still exist with the same amount of power. Right? So now, what, what sort of like, as Auskett would say, behooves us to believe or to ask the question of truth is because the claims that Jesus makes, especially in this world that we live in, they are not the only ones of this nature. Yes, and maybe I'm coming to a conclusion too early, I truly believe, and the Bible tells us that his claims are the only ones that actually can be held up to scrutiny and pass. But there are other kingdoms that are making these claims. So if we do not understand the truth of the kingdom of God, of the king of the kingdom of God, we will be swayed by other claims that sometimes are not even based on anything. You know, there's some worldviews that you really look at and you're like, wow. <laughs> and you come up with the statement, it takes more faith to be an atheist. There are certain things that really are not coherent at all. But they are worldviews. People believe that we live in simulations. <laughs> you know, this is such a... <laughs> I wasn't supposed to say this, but you know, there was a point in time where Richard and I were having a conversation with someone and we're talking about this aspect of truth, like uh, truth is objective and stuff like that. And then we asked that person, so are you saying there's no such thing as truth? You're like, no, everything depends. And Richard asked something and I laughed and I'm really, I felt bad for laughing. Richard asked him, okay, so is it true that we're sitting here right now? <laughs> and he responded, it depends. No coherence. It depends. No coherence whatsoever. Right? Another reason, or one of the other reasons that Briggs actually touched on, Prophet Briggs touched on yesterday, of why we should seek the truth that is within the kingdom of God is before we can even seek the kingdom of God, it must exist. So we must seek the truth of its existence and be assured that this is a kingdom that actually does exist or will be chasing the wind. The Bible talks about how, uh, I think it's Paul who says that yeah, we are to be most pitied if Jesus is not real. We are to be most pitied than anyone else in the world. So we must, we must seek the truth of the kingdom of God to know if it actually does exist. The second thing is we must seek it in order to understand and to understand and to know that it is what it claims to be. That it's not a, Jesus is not a politician who's making false promises, but what he says he will supply. Yeah. Right? And I'm drawing closer and closer to my closing now. One aspect that we should all understand is that 
the kingdom of God has anchored itself on the values of truth and on the claim that it is the truth. Because it is on the basis of not believing, on the basis of not believing Christ, who was God's evidence of what he was doing, that men are actually punished. On the basis of that, on the basis that I have given you evidence of who I am. If you want to know me, look at Christ. That's why it's something that is stressed in scripture over and over and over again, where Christ is saying, guys, I've been sent. Here I am. God even took the time beyond. Jesus' mission on earth primarily was to die for our sins. But for the people of that time, it was to be the evidence of what God was doing. That's why Jesus constantly says, guys, you're searching the scriptures, but I'm here. Jesus says, if you do not believe me, then you're not believing God, because God, I am God's testimony. It is on the basis of God making a truth claim that, guys, listen, you are in sin, and I want to save you, and I've sent my son to be your salvation. If you do not believe that, then you're not believing me. You're not believing my truth claim. Yes, if we, if we had more time, would actually expose how beyond that, it's the mere aspect that if you do not believe in the son, then you remain in your sin, but it's not the topic of the day. Let me not get carried away, actually. Right. So the kingdom of God has anchored itself on values of truth. Truths that it does not debate or does not even want to coexist with. Because as we established, the nature of the truth is just that. The nature of the truth is that it is exclusive. It cannot coexist with something that claims to be something else. Because ultimately, then it would stop being truth. And one of the things that I thought about in the morning not in my notes, just a thought was impressed upon me that truth or the truth is an inescapable aspect of reality. Because the funny thing or the ironic thing is that if I come up to you here and say there is no truth, I'm actually making a truth claim. Right? It's an inescapable aspect of reality. Whether you turn right or left, truth will always be there. Any statement that is made in relation to something that is absolute, brings upon a truth claim, even the assertion that truth in itself is not objective. If I say truth is never objective, I made an objective claim. Because if I say truth is never objective, but there's an objective truth that exists somewhere, then my claim is a lie. It's not the truth, right? My claim is false. And one of the aspects that we really need to understand as well, and this is what Ritu is mainly going to touch upon, and this was me just creating or putting forward the foundation is the exclusivity of this truth in relation to the kingdom of God and in relation to Christ as the king of this kingdom, as something that cannot be debated. You know, sometimes we find ourselves in spaces and it's some, sometimes we find ourselves in spaces maybe on the basis of not understanding, of seeking more knowledge, and if we're seeking more knowledge and we're looking into the scriptures and saying, that's fine. But you know, sometimes we find ourselves debating certain things out of something that seems like moral goodness. No, but surely there must be another way for those people who are not Christians. We think, what, we think that's love. We, we honestly think that's love. We come and we say, I love people so much, I cannot even imagine people not getting another way besides Jesus. It seems right to us. It seems morally astute. But one of the essential elements of love is truth in itself. And not to go on a rant, but we have watered down Jesus 
And we have watered down the value of truth in the sense that truth is always comforting. It is not. Sometimes truth is inundated with harsh realities, but harsh realities that are meant to expose you to a greater knowledge that is ultimately for your good. And one of the things, one of the greatest crimes that is done is the, de- the debate or the compromise of the truth of Jesus as the only way to salvation. Because the moment we debate that, this is going to sound very rough. I do not want to deconstruct anyone's faith who thinks this. The moment you say you believe in Jesus, but you don't believe in the, he's the only way, you are not believing in Jesus. You are believing in a version of Jesus, not Jesus. Why do I say this? Because Jesus has said, my kingdom is based on truth. And if you want to side with my kingdom, you have to side with the truth. And this is the truth. And the truth is that I am the only way, the truth, and the life. And no one can go to the Father except through me. So if I find myself in a space where I'm saying, Jesus, I believe in you, but I'm sure that there are other ways to Christ. What I'm saying is that, Jesus, I believe in the aspects of you that I want to believe in, but that one thing you said is a lie. And the one thing that you said about yourself is that you are truth. Then we quickly run into a lot problems. I just want to read a statement quickly, I still have a bit of time, by C.S. Lewis, and one of the most fundamental statements when it comes to understanding the exclusivity of Christ, and I'm going to read it word for word. This is what he says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I do not accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says he's a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else he is a madman or he is something way worse. You can try and shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us, and he did not intend to. That's a very important aspect when it comes to Jesus, that we either accept everything about who he said he was, or the moment we reject one thing, He is totally a liar because he has claimed to be objective truth in every aspect of his being. Right? So this brings me to the end of my presentation just to set that foundation that my brother Ritu will speak about of the exclusivity of Christ to delve deeper into these truth claims that are made by Jesus as the king of this kingdom and as, and, and in relation to the kingdom of God. Thank you very much. Like to connect with us, follow us on all our social media platforms and stay plugged in. CSCC, building a servanthood community where no one stands alone.